Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. On Sunday I spoke on sowing and reaping. Tonight I would like to uh, make some observations of principles of the laws of sowing and reaping. You may be seated. God bless you. Amen. For like the entire month of June, I've been talking about how things work in the kingdom of God. And I've been making notes. Like, for example, this past week I made a note. The Bible said that tribulation worketh patience. That's how it works. You get patience by tribulation. And you've heard people say, you know, don't pray for patience because when you do, you're praying for trouble because tribulation worketh patience. That's just how things work. So we've been exploring that in various ways. And uh, Sunday, I, I tried to drill down pretty deeply into the principles of Galatians chapter 6, especially about these laws of sowing and reaping that are so true in the Bible. In my study, I ran across a book. I've perused the book. I haven't had the time to read it. And, it, and the, the principles are good. He calls it the seven laws of the harvest. I'm not sure they're all laws, but certainly you could say most of them are principles. I'm very careful with, I say, principle, law, scripture. And the book is not as good as the seven points. As I thought, saw, thought them through, I felt like it was worth uh, spending tonight going back through those seven points that I mentioned briefly this past Sunday and uh, maybe helping us remember them. So the first uh, principle, I'll try not to say the word law because I think these, some of these are stronger than others, is that we reap much of what we did not sow. We reap much of what we personally did not sow. And when I read this, you know, I was preparing for my Sunday message about sowing and reaping. And when I read those words, I thought, I don't know if I believe that or not. I need to think about that. And as I pondered that, you know, I, was, I always try to hold everything up to the Bible. Somebody tells you something, no matter what they tell you, you always hold it up to the Scripture. They had a dream, hold it up to the Scripture. It was a vision, hold it up to the Scripture. Was a word of prophecy or tongues and interpretation. Thank God for those gifts. They do operate, but we always hold it up to a more sure word of prophecy that is the written word of God. So I started holding this idea up to the word of God, and I thought, you know, I really believe that this is true. For example, according to Genesis, excuse me, we go look back in Genesis as what happened with Eve and the serpent. Eve is deceived, Adam is not deceived, but he joins his wife by a decision to sin. Romans 5 and 12 looks back to that and tells us this, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And I thought, you know, it really is true. Now, there are some things that we just suffer, the consequences of the sins or decisions, good or bad, of other people. When a random person decided to start a fire under the bridge on I-85, that was an act that affected thousands of people. It was one person's action and many people's putting up with enduring what happened there, which, by the way, that's the fastest I've ever seen government work uh, to get the bridge built again. I commend everybody involved in that. Thank God for that, right? So we know that by the actions of, of Adam and Eve, that death entered, sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so all of us have this fallen nature. It's a result of what happened there. Romans 5.19, same chapter for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, 
So by the obedience of one, referring to Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. This entire passage in Romans 5 is pretty amazing. I just finished listening, listening to the book of Romans this past week. But what Adam and Eve did to us, Jesus did for us. So we are affected by the decisions of Adam and Eve. And we're affected by the life and decisions of Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross, right? 1 Corinthians 15 tells us a similar thing. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die... Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So we are affected by the decisions of other people. Some things we go through are not the choices that we made, but it's the impact of the choices of others that we now face the repercussions or the benefits of those decisions, both good and bad. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are by nature the children of, of wrath. In other words, not only did Adam and Eve sin, but it affected our very nature. But Jesus came to give us a different nature, to change that nature of sin. Now, while we're affected by the original sin, we are not culpable for what they did. In other words, there's some people who believe in generational curses. I don't find that in the scripture, but I do find culturally and historically and even biblically, that if you're raised in an environment, that that does affect you. And we know sociological, sociologically that many abused children become child abusers. It is a cycle of sin. It is the sowing and reaping that can be affected by generations. You know, the Bible said, and I, I had this in my notes, but I took this verse out uh, because of the way it turns out, the Lord said, you've, you've got this saying among you, this proverb, that the fathers have eaten ch- uh, sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But the Lord said, that's not the way it's going to be. Everybody is going to stand before God because of their own behavior. So we are affected by that, but not in the sense of sin. Ezekiel eighteen twenty, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So I'm giving you a little balancing principle here that while we're affected by the actions of others, what they sow, we can reap in consequences because of what it does to us, but it doesn't make us an automatic sinner. We stand before God and we have a choice. Amen. I mentioned righteousness exalts a nature, a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, there's a positive side of this. Now, here we are, 2018. I came to Atlanta West in 1995 to become the pastor. But this church was started in 1961 in, in the basement of Brother and Sister Harper with a handful of people. And when I came in 1995... I didn't start this. It's not the product of what's happened in the last 22 and a half years by all of us. But as Jesus said in John 4, 38, he said, I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and you are entered into their labors. We are reaping the benefits of what was sown for us by our fathers and grandfathers, by prayer warriors, all the way back as far as you want to go, that prayers never die, that people who sowed righteous seeds have given us a harvest of blessing in our lives in church. Amen. Now, let me just say this kind of on the side, passing, not really part of my plan. But we need to be careful that we don't just ride on the coattails. And we don't just live in the overflow of what was done a generation ago. That's why we have personal prayer and corporate prayer. Like this Saturday night 
and we have prayer rooms before church and men's prayer because we believe that we need to keep sowing to the Spirit in prayer and fasting and godly living and preaching the gospel. Because eventually, you eat all the seed and it's gone. Someone has to plant for a future harvest. And we believe that we should do that. So I just want to make the point that we, sow, we, we reap what others have sown on the negative side and on the positive side. I'm just making an observation about the harvest that it's just how things work. Amen. And we shouldn't blame God for the negative consequences that have come into our life because a father, a mother, or someone that was evil or failed or made bad decisions, that has affected us. Well, what we don't want to do is repeat that over and over, and I'll get to that a little bit later. Amen? We can reap it in the consequences in our lives, but we don't want to sow that back into our future. The second principle some of these are more conspicuous than others, and I'll spend a little time on some and more on others. That, so don't go seven times however long I spend on this. We reap the same kind as we sow. We know this, right? That seed reproduces after its kind. Genesis 1, 11 and 12. God said, let the earth bring forth grass. The herb yielding seed and the fruit yielding, tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And verse 12 says the grass and the tree, it actually happened. So I just want to remind you, this is kind of a simple point, but it has a lot of implications in our lives. That whatever you sow in kind, you will reap in kind. Never in a million years will a tomato seed produce an ear of corn, it doesn't work that way. And never in a million years will you sow one thing and reap something totally different. So we should know that whatever we want to reap, we need to make sure that that is what we sow. Everybody that understands that, say amen. amen. It's true in the spiritual as part of our text, Galatians 6 and 8. For he that soweth to his flesh, that's a type of seed, sin, debased nature. You're going to make an investment in the worst side of you. You're going to read things, watch things, listen to things, engage in conversations about things that are planting seeds in your mind and in your spirit that are not dead, they're alive. They grow. They reproduce. They're not innocent. They're not innocuous. They, they affect you. Well, somebody just said, well, the Bible says to the pure, all things are pure. You're taking a verse completely out of context. And you have to look at the whole of the Bible. If you think you can commit sinful acts and partake of sinful behavior or ungodliness and because you're so pure it doesn't affect you, that is a deception in itself. That's not in my notes at all, but boy, I really feel to just bear down a little bit about the kind of seed you sow. It, it, it's impossible, it is impossible to sow to your flesh and not of your flesh reap corruption. You can't unsee it, unhear it, unthink it. It is lodged somewhere in your brain, in your spirit, and it's, it's going to grow. And the more you water that, the more it's going to grow. If you sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. But the same is true on the flip side, on the spiritual side. If you sow to the Spirit, you shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I love the passage. I think it's 1 Samuel chapter 7 when the, Samuel said, If you do return unto the Lord, you know, with all your hearts, then prepare your hearts unto the Lord. 
Turfy idols, you know, whatever that passage says. But, but Samuel says, if you want to serve God, you have to prepare your heart to the Lord. You've got to choose what kind of seed you want to sow. Some people say, well, you know, I'm just not spiritual. Well, that's your fault. That's a choice. I'm not inclined to the Spirit. It's not easy for me to pray in tongues. When I come to church, I don't feel like worshiping. Well, you know, if you want to have incense, you know, in the Bible, worship is incense. And that censer that was incense was ignited from a coal that came off the brazen altar of prayer and repentance and death. So if there's no real prayer, there's probably not going to be real praise because the fire of worship comes from a fire of consecration and repentance and a right relationship with God. That's why, that's why some people, I mean, it's, there has to be a lightning bolt. I shouldn't say that on an overcast night, right? There has to be a lightning bolt of the Holy Ghost before they're going to like lift their hand and worship God. That's because they haven't sown to the Spirit. But they've listened to all day and thought about all day. And I know we live in, you know, believe it or not, I have to do things that are not just sitting around in a spiritual trance, you know. Uh, I know you work and there's a lot of influences and the environment around you. This Bible was not written for people who lived in communes. It was people who were in the world, right? And he said, I don't want to take them out of the world. I want you to keep them from the evil. That was a prayer of Jesus in his intercessory prayer of John 17, right? Okay. Job observed this in Job 4 and 8. Even as I have seen that they plow iniquity, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Now we know the law of the harvest that whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And if you want to change the harvest, all you have to do is change the what? The answer, the fill in the blank answer is seed. If you want to change the harvest, all you have to do is change the seed. Everybody with me now? You're, you're afraid it was going to be some, you know, rocket surgery, you know, insight here, you know. I know what I just said. That's my favorite, that is my favorite mixed metaphor. It's not rocket surgery. If you want to change the harvest, you have to change the seed. And if you change the seed, that's what you can control. You can control what you plant. But you cannot control what you reap if you've planted the wrong thing. It's just the same kind that you planted. So I talked about this a lot. On Sunday, you know, you need to just visualize the kind of life you want to have, the kind of person you want to be, and sow seeds of greatness into your life that produce that. The difference between the most spiritual person in this church, whoever that is, and it might be somebody that you don't even think is, and the most carnal person who calls this church their home is the seed they've sown into their lives. God is no respecter of persons. So it's not my personality. We're not talking about personality. We're talking about principles. Not the person who's necessarily the most emotional, but spiritual is different than emotional. It should affect your emotions and every part of your being, but spiritual is who you are. It's your walk with God. So, there's another little principle. I didn't put it on the screen. Leviticus 19.19. It just kind of came to me as I was studying. It's an Old Testament ceremonial law when the Lord said, you know, you don't, uh, you don't sow different kind of seed in the same field. He said, don't sow your field with mingled seed. He said, I want to keep this crop in this field and this crop in this field. You may want to grow wheat and soybeans, but the Lord said, not in the same field. So I just kind of want to make a little application here. Because the Bible talks about this in a lot of different ways. That in your life, don't sow two incompatible seeds into your life. In other words, don't, do, don't, don't be duplicious. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't try to be both 
in the church and out of the church, the Bible said that a fountain cannot give sweet water and bitter water. It's either one or the other. So I want to encourage you to not think that you can be both spiritual and just sinful at the same time. They're incompatible. And you're going to become all one thing or the other. And the Bible says that a little yeast, a little leaven, leavens the whole loaf. Say, I'm just going to have a little bit of sin in my life. Well, if you have a little bit of sin and you repent of it, if you confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But if you have a little sin in your life and you want to leave it there and nurture it, you're going to find a principle that it starts taking over everything. Remember Jesus talking about the person, you know, was a good plant, but weeds grew up and choked it out. That's what happens. So, Leviticus 19, 19 in, in the field of your life, don't sow incompatible seeds because you're going to produce something that you don't want to become. Amen. So, we sow in kind. The third principle is that we reap in a different season than we sow. Thank you, Ryan, for getting these where we can see them on the screen. That will help. We reap in a different season than we sow. Now, this is easy to understand with farming. It's not as easy to understand in life. Genesis 8.22 tells us that while the earth remaineth, <clears throat> seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The Lord said there is a seed time and there is a harvest. And they're not separated by five minutes. I, you know, there are some places you go and they're notorious for slow, fast food. There are some things I have a lot of patience for. And there are a number of things I have no patience for. And God makes me more spiritual because tribulation worketh patience. <clears throat> Incompetence is one of those things that really bothers me. James 5 and 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. By the way, I'll just say this about this verse. You know, like, I want to be patient. God, I'm, God, I'm going to be patient for a week, a month, a year. I love this definition of patience that I learned years ago. That patience is putting up with a difficult situation without putting a time limit on God to remove it. And if you read James 5 and 7, the context of our patient is, be patient, therefore, brethren, how long? If you're, if you're literate, just read. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. We've got our chips in here tonight so they can read this for us. How long am I supposed to be patient? Unto the coming of the Lord. Of the Lord. Remember, be not weary in well doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. So in, you can do the right thing and then just give up on doing the right thing because it's not working out for you. And I love this verse because when, when I want things to happen faster, it's just one of those terrible things about knowing the Bible a little bit is that it, it, it bugs you now and then. You know, the scriptures come to your mind and they convict you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, a guy that's a farmer, he waited for the fresh, precious fruit of the earth. And now it kind of is referring to God and he was a husbandman and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. So James is giving an example about a farmer who knows that there's some things that are out of his control. He's planted, and back then they don't have like irrigation in the same way we would now, and though there was some irrigation, but they were at the mercy of rain. And there was the early rain in Palestine, there was the late rain in Palestine, and, and all they could do is wait. 
and one started it off and one kind of finished that harvest, brought it to fruition. And he just had to wait. And, and that's what James says to us. Because you do not sow and reap in the same season. We sow and reap in different seasons. Even the ants know this. Proverbs 6.6. 6. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide over, seer or ruler, provideth her meat in summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. The ant knows that there are seasons in life. Now, I'm always aware of time. It doesn't always help me stay in a time limit, but uh, I want to talk about this some about life, okay? And I want to especially talk to to, to young people. I'm glad you're here, you know, on the summer break from crowd and and all of our young adults especially. I, I really want you to listen to this because we live in a world that is so geared toward instant gratification. And, you know, this statement I learned years ago that, you know, easy credit is the way to financial hell. You know, because we live in a world where everything can be given to you. And we have a lot of people who have found instant wealth or success, it seems, in this life. And the perception that people become overnight successes or sensations. And far too many people want to see that happen to them. I can't remember where I was or who I was talking to, but I was talking to some young person. I don't think they were from our church. And I was talking to them about education and planning for your future and really investing in yourself. And they said to me, you know what, I'm just going to start a YouTube channel and get rich. And I thought, that, that's a great idea. <laughs> you don't have to actually work hard. or I mean, it's a lot of those people work hard. I thought, sounds really easy. So I thought, well, let me Google that. <laughs> because to be in the top 100 YouTubers you have to have about 7.6 million subscribers because there's over a billion people on YouTube now. That's a lot, right? And if you're going to be in the top 1,000 YouTubers, you've got to have at least 1.8 million subscribers. So there are only 2,249 YouTubers, according to what I studied. Don't Google this right now. You can go home and prove I was wrong by five numbers or whatever because it depends on what you read. And I found several sources. I always try to cross-reference, there's only 2,249 YouTubers out of a billion that have a million subscribers. It's just not that easy. And you may be funny, but you may not be that funny. (laughs) You know? And if you want to be in the top 500, 5,000, you have to have over a half million subscribers. Less than 1% of all YouTubers have 100 subscribers. Less than 1%. So, you know, I'm not preaching about YouTube tonight, but I'm, t- I'm just making a point about in our world, there's this, there's this perception. Well, look at them, you know. Look at those guys. I mean, they've got, they make 20, they're worth $20 million because of YouTube. And there are people who make a fortune in all kinds of things. And we have in our culture now some relatively young billionaires They're they're billionaires. They're relatively young compared to what it would take to acquire that much wealth years ago. So, and if you read the monetization of YouTube, you know, I've read several different things. They're all conflicting. But basically, you've got to have a lot of followers to make any money. How's that? And I've got numbers in my notes, but I think I'll skip them because I found several things. And here's the deal. Most people who are successful have been on a growth track for a long, long time. They worked hard at their craft or trade. Some people get rich quick. Some do it honestly. But the very notion, the mentality, that you're going to be catapulted to success is a setup for disappointment and failure. Because especially in God's world, not talking about our natural world. Remember that path I preached about? The birth of a dream, the death of a dream, the supernatural fulfillment of a dream. If you belong to God and you follow his path, he's going to take you on a little journey. And read in Deuteronomy 8 what the Lord said to Israel, I humbled you to test you that I may do you good at your latter end. I took you through a process so when I blessed you, you wouldn't be arrogant. 
And you wouldn't think that you did it yourself. There's a season to sow and there's a season to reap. Life has seasons and you need to know what season you're in. I would hope to think that you have committed yourself to being a lifelong learner. I was talking to my son Justin the other day about something and I said, you know, I'm an old dog, but I'm always trying to learn new tricks. I want to get better. I don't want to be a crusty old guy that's against everything that's new. You know? Some of you are looking at me like, what? You know what I'm talking about. You want to live in the good old days and they're long gone. And when you lived in the good old days, they weren't that good. Because your grandparents said it was the good old days. It was, you know, 50 years before that that were the good old days. There's a lot of things about our culture that are just not good. But I hope you're a lifelong learner. One time J.T. Pugh, and one of my mentors, passed away now, said, you know, Brother Daryl, he said, a, a person doesn't accrue very much to themselves. He was especially talking about ministry. Until they're at least 30 years old. You know, things just don't happen instantly in life. And so you need to sow. I'm talking about S-O-W, right? We need to plant some seeds of spirituality, of knowledge, of education, of financial principles, about good relationships. And you need to spend this early part of your life doing a lot of sowing and don't worry about the reaping. It happens automatically. Even biblically, Paul said, I planted a polis watered, God gave the increase. I don't feel like you have to fabricate or force the result. You focus on the process. And if you do the right things in the right way with the right motive, God will bless you. You don't have to fake it. God will bless you. But you have to trust him that if you just keep sowing the right seeds... That God cannot lie. His principles always work. The baby dedications, I like to talk about what happened to Jesus. Luke 2.52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. You know, I've always liked to joke that didn't happen that much to me. And in favor with God and man. So let's just look at those four things very briefly. He grew in wisdom. How can you grow in wisdom? Well, I've often prescribed to people the book of Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom. 31 chapters, no big storyline. You can read a chapter a day. Won't take you very long. Underline, memorize, read it in a couple of translations. Read it over and over and over. It is a book written to a young man for the most part, it's written for all of us, but that's kind of the audience in the beginning. Solomon is saying, my son, take heed, you know, search for wisdom like silver or gold. And that book will change your life. Early in your life, seek wisdom and understanding. But you have to, you have to search for it. You have to dig for it. It's not laying on the surface. It doesn't come easily. I don't like to talk a lot about myself in positive light. Usually I like to joke about the times I messed up. But I thank God that at 16 years of age at a youth camp, that God really body slammed me. And I went home and I made up my mind that I was going to have a relationship with God. It was not a call to preach. It was a call to God. And so I started working on that. Started pushing them some seed out of my life that wasn't helping me. Not necessarily sin, it just wasn't what I wanted to become. And started to make commitments in my life to spiritual disciplines because I wanted to be something and I had a heart for God. But you have to sow that early in your life. He grew in stature. That, that could be all the physical things of whether it's going to the gym or eating right or taking care of your physical body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's not a shack. It's a temple. He grew in favor with God. How did he do that? 
kind of alluded to that already. But he, but he spent time in prayer. He arose a great while before day to pray. He prayed all night. Jesus, God in flesh, the human, prayed to the divine spirit because he understood the power of relationship with God. And Jesus also increased in favor with man. Now, you know, we read a lot about how they didn't love Jesus and he came to his own, his own received him not. But as he grew up, the Bible said he grew in favor with man. How did he improve his relationship with other people? Personal relationships. I've talked about this when we were talking about Christians at work, that the number one thing in, in success in life is, is relationships. You've got to learn to get along with people. And there's a book that called The Likeability Factor. And this sounds like a, a, a bad book, but it's a good book, you know, uh, about uh, how to win friends and influence people. Whether you want to be interesting or whether you, whether you want to be interested. Whether you're all about you. When you walk in the room, do you say, here I am? Or do you say, there you are? The number one thing of success in life, I, I put God first, right? But it's relationships with people. So while I'm shy, shyness can be overcome inch by inch, day by day, but you have to work on it. But I'm selfishness. Well, start with repentance and then focus on other people. You may think that the world revolves around you, but that's one of the most immature attitudes ever. That's how you were when you were a baby. And it was all about being burped and changed and fed. But now it's not all about you. We're to look every man on the things of others, not on the things of ourselves. And a lot of scriptures in the Bible about this. So I want to tell you, early in your life, invest in other, invest in, in, in plant seeds for a season in another harvest. Sorry, pardon me, I got off base here a little bit. Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, 3 says that he had an excellent spirit. Proverbs 17, 27 on the screens, he that hath knowledge spareth his words. Don't just be a chatterbox. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Don't ever let anything mess up your spirit. And Jesus said, offenses will come. I like what one preacher said, Grace, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. He said, if you get offended, you need to ask yourself, what part of God's law do you not love? I think it was Chris Green preaching here, maybe. If you're offended, what part of God's law do you not love? Because great peace, Psalm 119, 165, I believe, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. So like, like finances grow when you invest, young, you have time, Right? And it compounds. That's how life works. You reap in a different season that you sow. So while you're young, sow into the person that you want to be 10, 20, 30 years from now if the Lord tarries and don't live in the vacuum of today. To, to parents of young children, and I've said this the other day, you know, I really... I really appreciate parents who bring their children on Wednesday night and it's like a wrestling match with your children and you have to take them out, bring them back in. It's just not easy, but thank you for coming. But let me just talk to you about your kids. You know, there are a lot of men that don't have anything to do with their little babies and then later in life, they don't build a relationship young. And I'm not trying to pretend to be the epitome of anything, but, but I learn observation and from the Bible you know train up a child you start young you know the Bible said when they're weaned that's when you make them understand you start young building a relationship you don't wait till they're old enough to drive and then try to be their best buddy you start working on it from day one teaching them the right things loving them and investing in them I don't remember if I've ever told this story here after 22 and a half years. This is a story I usually tell ministers. It was in our house in, 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 uh, in Jackson. 
I've only lived three main places or four, I guess, but in Jackson. I was on the floor playing cars with Ryan. We're just having a blast. He's a little kid. And I don't think Joel was born yet, so he's really little, under three, you know. And, uh, and the phone rings, and it's a person who has a problem, and it's not really a legitimate emergency. It's a person who has to have a lot of affirmation, and they called one of our pastors every day, really. And I'm on the floor, here, I'm just having a blast, and I stopped and answered the phone, and well, by this time, you know, my son is off in something else, and when I hung up the phone, I thought, that's not going to happen to me every day. Because I am not, I, I'm going to take care of people. But this boy right here, that's my son. And I, want, I don't want him to grow up thinking that every time there's somebody else that's got an issue that he's not important to me. And again, I'm not trying to pretend to be the epitome of anything. I'm just making a point that you've got to start young and you've got to invest heavily, heavily into your mind, into your spirit, into your career, in your education, in your marriage, in your family. You are sowing seeds in this season, knowing that this is a law of God. It's a law of life that you will reap if you faint not. You reap in a different season than when you sow. Amen? Amen. In due season on the screens, Galatians 6 and 9, in due season you shall reap if you faint not. All right, let me see, because next Tuesday, I really don't want to be talking about this. And Number four, we reap more than we sow. Everybody that understands that point, say amen. amen. Matthew 13, 23. You know, different ground. This is the parable of the soils. It brings forth 160, 30. You, you reap more than you sow. And that's just the law of the harvest, both good and both bad. One grain of wheat planted in the ground, a seed will produce a head of about 50, 50 seeds on the head of grain. 50 to one. One seed produces 50. One acre of wheat about the size of a football field, will produce enough wheat, flour, for 1,500 loaves of bread. A single seed is powerful. You reap more than you sow. Principle number five is that we reap in proportion to what we sow. Now, I need to give you this principle, and this really is in the positive, I think, because this principle is about, is about finances, is about giving to the kingdom of God. To the church, 2 Corinthians 9 and 6. Remember, Scripture has one, one interpretation, many applications. If it's true, it can probably be applied in one more than one area, but this specifically is about giving. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So here's principle number five. If you put that back on the screen, just back up to that, that we reap in proportion to what we sow. All right? Verse nine, verse seven of that same chapter. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. But look at the first phrase here. You've got to purpose this in your heart. Now, am I going to be stingy? Or am I going to be generous? And I'm talking about all of life, but this verse is specifically talking about, about giving. It's talking about money. 2 Corinthians 9 and 7 is, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I'm going to skip a couple things. Principle number six. We reap the full harvest of the good only if we persevere, the harvest of evil comes on its own. Most of you were here Sunday. I preached a lot about this at the end of my message. I'll review it because I think it's really, really important. If you sow evil, you can't stop it from coming. This is a little bit of an anomaly. It's kind of a, excuse me, a paradox, a paradox. That, that sowing evil just happens. 
But along the road of life, the Bible says, Galatians 6 and 9, we reap if we faint not. This is a little scary to me. And I preached a couple verses out of Ezekiel, and I really felt a burden when I was studying, when I was preaching Sunday, to people that had been in church a long time. You're not home free. I'm not home free. I've got to make sure that I don't think that God and I are so tight that I can start compromising and be carnal and I can live on some past consecration. And what the passages I preached about Sunday say, all the good you did, if you walk away from it, it will be forgotten. Wow. So we shall reap if we faint not. This is very important that we remember this. And the psalmist said that in Psalm 126 and 5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So we need to make sure that while our patience is challenged, that we don't give up, that we reap if we faint not. Seventh principle. And you can put this on the screen. This is kind of long. It's too wordy. I tried to think of a way to shorten it, but we'll just look at it. We cannot change what we are reaping in the present because of what we have sown in the past. That's the first half of it. And then the next half, I think, maybe. But we can change what we reap in the future by what we sow in the present. All right? So let's go back to the first part of that. I love our lower thirds in live video. Y'all like this? It's so nice. It happened about six, eight months ago, and thank God for that. Um, man, I've watched people, and I preached about this a good bit Sunday too. They're in the middle of reaping what they sowed of, that was bad. It's just consequences. I talked about the young lady that I grew up with, the girl that I grew up with in our youth group who went away from God, had consequences in her life, got back in church. She was reaping the consequences of sin. But I've been, I had so much respect, not for her sin, but for her recovery. Because while she was reaping in the present of things she had done in the past, she understood the law of sowing and reaping. If I change my, the seed that I'm sowing, I'm going to automatically change the harvest. So she realized that this is not the rest of my life. I'm not stuck with being this person. I'm not going to be the immoral person. I'm going to be the godly person. I may have given some things up, but I'm not giving up. This is, I think, maybe one of the most difficult challenges for people. That when you sow seeds in the past that are bad seeds, you also form habits. Because you've done this over and over again. You know, Bible quizzers learn that your mind is like a muddy road. And the way you memorize as you run that phrase buy down that muddy road over and over again. It digs ruts, right? We understand it's neurological, but that's how you memorize. You, you do it over and over again. And when you have patterns of behavior that you've done over and over again, it begins to shape you. And when you want to change who you are, it doesn't come easily or automatically. Even, God for, even though God forgives you of your sin... You still have patterns of thinking, the motions of sin, the way, what you are, right? Words you used to say that you don't want to say, but they come to your mind because those words have gone up and down that path so many times. They're just there, images and thoughts. And so here you are reaping this because of a, a lifetime or years or however long it's been. Of that's, who you, that's the seeds you've been sowing. But you can change the seed and you can have a different outcome. Now just put that second phrase up there, please. So you can change what we reap in the future by what we are sowing 
in the present. We believe in the power of the gospel to change you. Amen? From an unstable person like Simon, Jesus said you will be called Cephas, which means a stone. You're going to go from a wishy-washy, unstable, an impetuous man. You're going to become a rock. I'm going to change you. We believe in that in the church. The apostle Peter wrote later that after you've suffered a while, the Lord is going to make you perfect or mature. He's going to, I love these three words in the King James. He's going to establish you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to settle you. I used to be this, but I said I will, I refuse to always be that. We believe that the gospel makes you a new creation in Jesus Christ. That old things are passed away and all things are become new. We believe in this power. We believe in what Paul said, that forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press for the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I am not going to be what I used to be. I'm going to sow to a different future. Let's stand to our feet and let's give the Lord praise right now. Hallelujah. 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 Remain standing. Our musicians are coming. Worship team. Praise God. I just want to read it again on the screen, our text. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. The very end there. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If we have that verse, the very end of my notes. Again, maybe. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Amen. And let us not be weary in well doing. For in due season. Would you just say due season? I know there's songs written about, you know, season of change and season of harvest. I love that song and that idea. God is the Lord of the harvest. Amen? Amen. One of the most rewarding things about serving in ministry is watching people not just get saved, obey the gospel, and they're justified. They're just as if they had never sinned. One of the most awesome things to me is watching people grow. And it's slow, incremental. But just day by day, never giving up, just every day, Sow a little seed to the good. Throw away a little bad seed that you used to sow. Outlive the consequences of past failures. And reap a harvest of blessing in your life and blessing forever.